While we were marching through Georgia, everybody swing your honey, swing your high and low. The Alaman left for the old left hand, around the ring you go. A grand old right to left walk on your heel and toe. Promenade that pretty gal to Georgia. In the last episode, we went through a bunch of newspaper clippings about the Civil War and talked about how the war was presented to people in the South. That wasn't the only thing I found going through newspapers on newspapers.com, and I want to share a few more articles with you. They really open a window into how people thought and how the world worked 100 or 150 years ago. We're going to start with the way newspapers looked at women. And our first is an advertisement. Wanted young ladies between age 16 and 25 as operators. Must live with parents and bring references. Atlanta Telephone and Telegraph Company, Corner, Edgewood and Ivy. Imagine running an ad like that today. Now this next one is from the Atlanta Constitution in 1910. And of course it demonstrates the fragile and frail nature of women in general. The headline is, Woman Dies of Worry, Another Insanitarium. Nervous wrecks of result of disclosure of DAR defalcations. You look up defalcations, it's basically misuse of money you've been entrusted with. One woman has died of worry and another is a nervous wreck in a sanitarium as a result of the disclosure of a defalcation in the treasury of the Daughters of the American Revolution several weeks ago. Both women who were clerks were innocent but feared they might be suspected. Some money was lost. They know who did it. They've even caught the person who did it. But two women have had their lives apparently ruined by this. One has died of worry and the other is a nervous wreck in a sanitarium. There has to be more to this story because people are definitely not that fragile. I would love to hear it. Okay, leaving that subject behind, let's move on to another hot topic of the time, and that is education. This is an article from the Atlanta Constitution in 1882. The headline is Tekoa Teachers. The teachers of the Institute and the people of Tekoa have been highly entertained every evening during the past week with delightful lectures from distinguished speakers from different portions of our state. If you're a teacher or in any other profession that has in-service training, you know that this is probably not true, and especially if it happened after hours. Reverend Dr. Lane from Athens entertained us with charming talks on botany and astronomy. Colonel Lewis of Dahlonega gave us an interesting lecture on the study of English. On Friday evening, Judge Blackley. That would be Logan Bleckley, who had a house in Clarksville and also was a judge on Georgia's Supreme Court, was introduced to the Institute and gave us an oral talk on geography. Now you tell me one thing more fun than listening to a mandatory geography lecture on Friday night. And then the story ends with this little sentence. We have lovely weather, which lends enchantment to the pleasant little city of Tekoa. Just a little blurb in there promoting a little tourism in Tekoa. I love it. And now let's tie up the subject of women and teachers with a story in the Atlanta Constitution 
in January of 1920. The headline is Teachers and Wedlock. City school regulations in Birmingham provide that marriage automatically disqualifies a woman for employment as a teacher in educational institutions there, and the Birmingham teachers want the ban lifted. They have formed a union and announced their intention to affiliate with the American Federation of Labor, as the teachers of Atlanta have done, and one of the improvements in their status they hope to attain thereby is the repeal of the objectionable anti-wedlock regulation. Now, the writer of this column goes on to support the teachers in saying that this regulation should be repealed, mostly because teachers are following a vocation to which she is temperamentally, by natural inclination and by training, best adapted. And goes on to say that tender feelings and sympathies and understanding of child nature are natural womanly characteristics and only accentuated by marriage and motherhood. The idea that a mother is not competent to teach school is archaic and absurd. Yeah, 1920 was the year that women were given the right to vote, so I think it's pretty fair to give them the right to get married even though they work in a school. But that's not the only thing that happened in 1920. This is the Atlanta Constitution from January 17, 1920, and it demonstrates some of this flowery and overblown language that newspapers tended to use at the time. The headline is, Old J. Barleycorn at Last Outlawed by United States. Well, using a fairly quaint term, they're basically saying that prohibition has begun. Nothing with kick can be legally sold. Constitutional prohibition effective at midnight Friday night and the enforcement legislation enacted by Congress make the following provision. And there's a long list of provisions. Basically, they explain everything that's in the 18th Amendment here. And it does say that physicians are prohibited from prescribing alcoholic liquor for patients unless in good faith they believe it will afford relief from ailment. It makes me think of some of these states that passed medicinal marijuana laws and how just hordes of people had to go to their doctors to be diagnosed with conditions that required marijuana. Doctor, we're going bowling on Friday and we can't do the beer frame unless you write me that prescription. This next one is from the Atlanta Journal. This is 1921, a year later, while we're talking about doctors prescribing things that are kind of questionable. This is an advertisement, but you wouldn't know it looking at it. A lot of these early papers had stories and advertisements right next to each other, and sometimes it was hard to tell the difference between them. The headline is, Will Radium at Last Open the Door of the Great Unknown? If you are sick and want to get well and keep well, write for literature that tells how and why this almost unknown and wonderful new element brings relief to so many sufferers from... Constipation, rheumatism, sciatica, gout, neuritis, neuralgia, nervous prostration, high blood pressure, and diseases of the stomach, heart, lungs, liver, kidneys, and other ailments. This is actually kind of hard to read because I can't imagine this happening. 
You wear Degnan's radioactive solar pad day and night, receiving the radioactive rays continuously into your system, causing a healthy circulation, overcoming sluggishness, throwing off impurities, and restoring the tissues and nerves to a normal condition. And the next thing you know, you are getting well. Or dead. So, you can't stop to have a beer on the way home if you've had a rough day at work, but you can wear radium in your belt. Okay, turn in the page now. Okay, this is a little more fun. This is the Atlanta Constitution from 1905. This is the social items column, and no good newspaper was without it. Social items. Mr. and Mrs. Edward Peters are expected home the later part of the week. That's a really helpful notice, so if you're going to rob their house now that it's empty, you better do it soon, because they'll be back later in the week. Miss Ethel Gay will be among those to entertain at a card party the coming week. Miss May Dubignon entertained her bridge club yesterday. The first cotillion of the Atlanta Cotillion Club will be given early in December and will be a notably brilliant occasion. Lots of young boys in scratchy ties and young girls in uncomfortable shoes will be forced to interact while their manners are watched like a hawk by the adults in attendance. Miss Frances Connolly is studying at Mrs. Lefebvre's school in Baltimore. Doesn't say what she's studying. Miss Gladys Snook arrives from Barnesville tonight to attend the Waldo Andrews wedding. This is my favorite. The five o'clock tea, which was to be given this afternoon by Mrs. Peter F. Clark, is postponed on account of the illness of her mother. Does this sound like early Facebook in print to you? Does to me. Okay, and let's close with one other column that would be essential at the time. This is the Georgia Crop Items. August 8th, 1882. Hart County will make 200,000 bushels of oats this season. And you can use those oats to make oatmeal, bread, whatever you want. I don't care. They're your oats. Wilcox County will make corn enough to last her two years. The sugarcane crop of Houston County was never better before. Mrs. J.A. Mosley of Putnam County has sold 3,000 eggs this year. And it's only August. Mr. T. White of Elbert County has sold $600 worth of butter this year. Dr. McIntosh of Early, without any manure, made 3,000 bushels of oats. This is really positive stuff. Whitfield County has the promise of the largest hay crop she has ever raised. And right here in the middle, something a little more grim. Cotton caterpillars have put in an appearance on some of the farms in Houston County. But on the plus side, Mr. F.H. Field of Whitfield County has several acres of tomatoes, which pay him handsomely. And Mr. W. Woodruff of Near Griffin has shipped 3,980 pounds of grapes within this last three days. Look, I don't know if you find this boring. I don't. I find this fascinating. So here's a few more. Mr. L.B. Whitworth of Franklin County exhibits a cucumber three feet and six inches in length. And I'm not saying any of this isn't important. 
In a journalism class I once took, the professor told us that a lot of rural newspapers would keep the telephone book on a desk and make sure that they published every resident's name at least once a year. This is probably an example of that. Okay, what can you do with one acre? Well, Mr. W.B. Hamilton of Thomas County made 128 bushels, 24 quarts, and one pint of corn on one acre of ground. This is 1882, and that's a lot of corn. Good for him. Right now, the record is 616 bushels on one acre. And Mr. George Truitt of Troop County has made a thousand bushels of oats this year on a three-mule farm and thinks he has a thousand bushels of corn in sight. Okay, this has been great. I've had a lot of fun. I just want to remind you that Moving Through Georgia is a history podcast mostly focusing on Northeast Georgia. Questions, comments, concerns, please send them to movingthroughgeorgia at gmail.com. And we're going to end with one more story. And I think you'll be surprised at how short this story is. This is an item in the Gate City Guardian. That's an Atlanta paper from February 25th, 1861. Henry Cloud struck Daniel Jones across the head with a stick at a shooting match near Bainbridge. In this state, on the 16th instant, from the effects of which Jones died in a few hours. Cloud fled. That's it.